Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners, to the Paleo View, episode 355 or so. Sarah tells me we are terrible at simple math, so who knows? (laughs) Adding one seems to be a really challenging thing for both of us. And yet we're going to pretend to tell you about science. No, I'm just kidding. We actually know about science. We're just Um, terrible at simple math. Not the same thing. (laughs) Complex statistics I got all day. Listen. Adding one. I have the... like state record for highest math skills with a Z when I was in elementary school. (laughs) So the fact that this blows my mind every week is hysterical. But uh, whatever episode it is, we're glad you're here, listeners. And um, this topic is one of the ones that I asked Sarah about long time ago, and it has taken her that long to do the research, (laughs) um, mostly because there's a lot of myths. And this ended up being more of a myth-busting topic than a, yeah, let's talk about how that negatively affects your health. And so I just want to warn you that like the moon show, Sarah and I may agree to disagree on some of these topics. (laughs) It's just that I value science. It's not that I don't value science. Sometimes I just think science isn't there yet. Um, so why don't we tell you about the show? The show is sponsored by ButcherBox, one of our longtime partners in the podcast. And we're so glad that they're back. And we will tell you more about ButcherBox later on in the show. But you can get $15 off plus free bacon with your first home delivery of um, high quality, better for you, grass fed, grass finished, free range meat um, at butcherbox.com slash the paleo view. The topic this week is wired bras, shapewear, and compression stockings. And this has actually been a post that I have been like a blog post that was bubbling in my head for like two years. Um, And then when I, this is what happens, P.S., by the way, when you have like way too many balls in the air, you have so many great ideas and then you just can't finish any of them. Um, But then uh, when I started staying home, I stopped wearing wired bras more often. And I incorrectly made a statement on social media, which I genuinely appreciate um, our my audience pointing out to me in a very respectful way, which is that I said, by doing so, I had reduced my risk of breast cancer, um, which actually runs in my family. And turns out that's a complete farce. And I felt really bad about having said it because I did, I I genuinely didn't do any research at all. It's like one of those like, oh, I thought that's a known fact. And we're just saying that kind of things. So we're here. There's there's so many things like that, though, that permeate society that we don't even second guess like i i i think i totally i totally get that you would say something like that and just because it's there's 
more information on the internet confirming that myth than there is myth busting. You have to like really search for the myth busting stuff. So yeah, well, yeah. I, and just for the record, I did immediately say I was totally wrong. <laughs> like hundred percent, I made a mistake, and that's the science is not there on that. Um, where I think that Sarah and I are going to have some some nuance in our discussion is on the topic of shapewear, because I've had some personal experience with going from someone who wore it every single day to help with, you know, sagging skin from weight loss and all different kinds of things. I wore body like from, you know, chest to thighs shapewear almost every single day. And, um, when removing the shapewear later in life, found that I had less digestive um, issues. And so we want to talk about not just that, but also there's something when science disproves, and there's also something when science proves. And then there's this gray area where sometimes science hasn't done in-depth research on something because the information just isn't there yet. Um, but where the information definitely is, it's on compression um, as it relates to how it can improve your health in some other ways. So we're also going to talk about that. And now I'm making a little frame with my face and smiling. I'm like, did I give you a good <laughs> overview of where we're going with this show? Uh, I think that's a great overview. Um, yeah, you you um, put compression garments on on my to do list to research, and um, it, this was actually a really challenging topic to research. So the first thing that I did as I was trying to get into it was uh, I really divided this into um, I think uh, three main areas. So one is shapewear. The other one is bras, and then the other one was sort of compression stockings, and and really tried to to look into what research has been done on each one of these individually because they were developed for different reasons, right? So they they come their history is very different, and uh, and then I tried to really get into like okay, so what what is the what are the myths? So I found you know really like reputable newspapers having articles that quote several different doctors sharing their experience and why, you know, shapewear is terrible. And then turned to the medical literature to find out what studies have been done to confirm the impression that these doctors have. So as I get into this this research, I think it's really important to sort of admit that there's there's some really there's actually really limited research in terms of confirming what are purported adverse effects to wearing compression undergarments. So shapewear, corset wear has a lot of different, um, you know, the sort of like modern day corsets, which are not as let's okay, wait, hang on. Let's just have a tangent for actual corset training because that is barbaric and is absolutely associated with all kinds of problems. There were doctors studying the problems associated with corset wear in the late 1700s um, that were actually looking at, you know, when you corset train and actually change the shape of your ribs and shift your organs around, um, that can cause a lot of health issues. It can cause hernias. There's all kinds of bad things that happen. Interestingly, as I was um, on my medical research tangent looking at corsets, um, it does even 
seem to impact some hormones. So I found a study where they corset trained rats, which I thought was really weird. Um, and showed that it was actually like impacting like leptin signaling um, and a lot of like fat hormone signaling, which I am not going to, uh, the authors were like, so corsets are great. And I looked at that data and went, so corsets are barbaric. Um, so corsets, I think, are like a different thing because it's not a, uh, it's not a normal fashion practice anymore. Um, it is, you know, what we're normally seeing, what some people would even call a a corset or a girdle now really falls under that banner of shapewear. It is not providing anywhere near the type of compression or, you know, millimeters of mercury pressure that ye old fashioned corsets actually did with the exception of, right, there's, there is definitely some of that in society and through the internet, but we're, I, I wanted to kind of separate that out because that has definitely legitimate studied, I like studied for the last few hundred years concerns. Um, I want to talk about, uh, and the research that I really focused on was the co- much more common practice of, I mean, I've been seeing it, you know, advertisements on, uh, you know, apps on my phone of like the magic underwear that you pull up over your rolls and it smooths everything out, right? So that's the type of stuff that falls under the shapewear. So it's providing some compression, but it's not uh, typically not laced or not tight laced the way corset training would have been for uh, a few hundred very awful years for for women. That would have been terrible. Well, it's also still happening throughout the world with like feet binding and neck stretching and all kinds of things that are. In most areas in the world, those are becoming (laughs) uncommon practices, right? So they're considered these like weirdly traditional practices that are like falling out of vogue. But this is, this is continuing the tangent on the, um, you know, uh, the more patriarchal societies are, the more there's these sort of weird practices in terms of women's physical appearance. And this is like a whole separate soapbox because, ugh. So just, it just, it just, there's every part of me that is absolutely repulsed by these types of practices. I find them just, um, first of all, women are beautiful. We don't need this kind of shapewear to, to make ourselves look like whatever someone else wants us to look like. Um, second of all, when you see these types of practices, it is a form of dominance, right? So it is um, a form of control, right? Women's feet were bound. Basically, they couldn't run away, right? They could barely walk if you had like that six inch, four inch, whatever the foot size was supposed to be. Um, so I feel like that... <laughs> That's a whole other tangent that is is not necessarily the 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 goal of this particular podcast. Um, but I think it is important to acknowledge that that is a thing that is out there that exists. Um, the focus here is on, um, you know, without n- naming name brands, shapewear. So it is the underwear, um, whether it's uh, there's right just uh, 
there's Can a variety. we go back to where you were soapboxing about women's appearances and it was mm-hmm. you soapboxing about it? Like, just, I'm just going to like, let that <laughs> settle for a minute before you just jump. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm a living for it. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm just... so with you. Okay. So with that in mind, we can also say that there's a societal normalcy that you may want to participate in when it comes to wired bras and shapewear, like, like you're talking about, Sarah. And Mm -hmm. as someone who lost a whole lot of weight and had sagging skin, I chose to wear a lot of shapewear because it did feel more comfortable to me. I will be honest, especially when I was working out, um, to not have things moving around all the time. And, um, I, I definitely took it like to an extreme. So, um, when, when we're talking about these things and Sarah's, you know, going to get into it, I, I just want to state for the record that from my own personal experiences, which is the only things that I can really point to at this point, because there isn't a lot of science on the um, shapewear perspective, but boy, is there a lot of stuff on the internet without any backed science. Um, <laughs> but I can just tell you from my personal experience that, you know, going from a more constrictive um, elongated shapewear, if that makes sense, like from chest to thigh in a more constrictive way, um, does, is, does not have the same effect as for example, wearing high-waisted underwear with a little bit of lycra in them to hold things together, but not necessarily create a, like, I don't want to say compression because we're going to talk about compression separately, but essentially that's what it was. It's, like, right. it's basically a low pressure compression garment versus a medium pressure compression yeah. garment. Um, high pressure would be like corset training. And interestingly enough, as we do get into some of the science that does exist, there is some science that separates out impacts of low pressure versus medium pressure and generally showing that um, – low pressure compression garments, which are typically defined as like 20 millimeters of mercury or lower. And then medium would be like 20 to 30 or 20 to 40. So different studies define them slightly differently. So sometimes low is 15 or less. Um, But generally it's, it's the difference between um, breaking a sweat, getting into your underwear versus just putting your underwear on. Right. So if (laughs) if that's, if you're if you are if it takes you five minutes to get your underwear on, that's medium compression. If it takes you five seconds, that's low to zero compression. Um, and so some of these studies are separating low and medium, and some of them aren't. Um, but there are some documented effects of shapewear, um, specifically with gastroesophageal reflux disease. So what's really interesting is that the, there seems to be this overlap between effects of um, compression on the abdomen. So these are all studies that look at either uh, waist belts or they look at the type of compression garment that would be used after um, like an abdominal plasty or a tummy tuck. They're, they're looking at that type of shapewear, which is very similar to the type of shapewear that is uh, all over the internet because we want to smooth out our rules and all of those things that society is telling us we need to do. Um, 
So looking at those types of, that type of compression, there's a lot of overlap between the symptoms that causes and what is experienced by people who are gaining weight very rapidly. So a rapid weight increase basically causes some, a similar amount of compression. So if you're, if you're gaining weight very quickly um, and your skin is not uh, stretching to accommodate that increased waist circumference, you get some of the same impact. And so um, the cup, there's been a couple of studies that have looked at uh, comparing those. So somebody using uh, some kind of compression garment um, that is applying pressure to the abdomen versus um, rapid weight gain and looking at the impact on the digestive system. And what has really come out of that is this fairly substantial increase in acid reflux. Um, and into the point where there was actually one paper that showed a higher um, risk of um, hiatal hernias caused by abdominal compression, which is a hernia at the, at the top of the stomach, um, which is also associated with uh, acid reflux because it basically forces the upper gastroesophageal sphincter wide open. So um, there is basically like a doubling of the amount of reflux and also a like slowing down of reflux clearing after meals with abdominal compression. And this would be right on that cusp between low compression and higher compression. So looking at about 15 millimeters of mercury compression. Uh, so that would be, you know, some studies would qualify that as medium and some would qualify that as low. Um, that causes this pretty big increase in, um, in acid reflux. Now, that particular study looked at people who already had diagnosed um, gastroesophageal reflux disease. So they already had reflux disease, and then we're looking at the occurrence of reflux after a meal and showing that when those people had uh, abdominal compression garments on, they had basically twice the the amount of of reflux events compared to uh, not wearing anything. So this is under the circumstance of existing reflux basically being worse by abdominal compression. So I think it's important to keep that context in mind because it's a little bit different than saying that a compression garment can cause reflux. There have been no studies that have looked at healthy people without reflux and looked to see if, if they wear a compression garment, if they will develop acid reflux. So it's, it's a little bit different. So saying that it makes something that's existing much worse compared to causes that thing, it's not the same statement. But it's certainly concerning. The way that this has been reported in a lot of media articles, though, is by saying, you know, wearing shapewear can cause acid reflux. And I think it's really important to say that the science does not support that. The science would say it would make existing reflux worse. At this point, it is unknown if if you do all of these, you know, diet and lifestyle things correct, which in the absence of a hiatal hernia should mean that you don't have acid reflux. Acid reflux is uh, linked with things like uh, digestion efficiency, gut dysbiosis. If you're... Um, managing stress and you're active and you're getting enough sleep and you're eating a good diet and you have, you know, a working pancreas and a working gallbladder, you shouldn't have acid reflux. Um, so if in that context, right, in the context of our listeners, would compression wear cause acid reflux? There's no way to answer that question at this point. 
I like the idea, though, like the moon, that one could extrapolate. If one is experiencing digestive distress of any kind, and one's organs had less room to expand, that one could potentially experience problems. Like, the science might not be there, except that it is in the case of um, reflux, which makes sense, right? Like, cause if you're, if you're compressed, then there's less room for that to go in and, and go back up. And I think, um, like I said, my, my personal experience is that with the constriction of my digestive organs, things were not moving along as kindly as Sarah would want me to discuss them <laughs> with her. <laughs> but when I went to a lighter compression where I got the support that I wanted, like from, mm-hmm. you know, both what I wanted to feel like and what I felt good in. And I'm going to make that really clear what I felt good in um, with a, a lighter compression that worked for me. And then of course I occasionally like if I'm putting on a fancy dress or whatever, and I'm not going to have a meal, like I, I'm not going to worry about the five minute compression wear because it's like you said, there's no science that's, that's harming me from that perspective, especially short term. Um, that's just my, my personal take. Um, yeah, I would say in terms of like doctors being interviewed in media reports, there are plenty of doctors who say that they see increased IBS symptoms, increased urinary incontinence, implying, um, you know, an increased, uh, impact on kidney health, kidney infections, UTIs. Um, some doctors sort of blame that on if it took you five minutes to get into your compression wear, you might not go to the bathroom as often. You might not hydrate as much. Um, and that, of course, would put a stress on your um, kidneys and, and bladder. Um, the science is not there, but I would definitely say that this would be a thing to experiment with if you wear tight compression garments and you experience those symptoms, like try a week without them and see what happens. I would say that's there's enough science to say that is a completely valid place to experiment. Um but I wouldn't necessarily say the the opposite is true. So I wouldn't say that um, this. I don't think the science would support avoiding compression garments over fears that it like would cause a kidney infection or urinary incontinence. Like there's no science to show that a compression garment can cause it. Um, but anecdotal evidence from doctors being interviewed for media reports would suggest that if that is something that you're struggling with and you're wearing the compression garments, maybe try taking the compression garments off. Um, There was one other study that I thought was interesting to talk about, and this was specifically looking at the, um, these are higher compression. So it's typically like 30 millimeters of mercury. So that's the higher end of medium compression uh, undergarments that are recommended that um, people wear to control um, swelling, um, and scar formation after having a tummy tuck. So an, um, abdominoplasty and they weren't looking at, um, women who had had abdominoplasty. They were looking at that type of compression garment because one of the surgical risks of that procedure is uh, deep vein thrombosis. And so they were looking to see if the deep vein thrombosis could be related not to the surgery itself, but to the compression garment. And they actually measured blood flow in um, the femoral vein 
wearing that compression garment to look and see if uh, the blood flow was affected and actually showed what was called uh, venous flow stasis, which basically means more sluggish blood flow in the femoral vein um, when women were wearing that compression. And it was made worse by certain like body positions. Um, so basically, I think it was like sort of folded over, which would normally also slow down blood flow. It was like compounded by wearing that compression garment. Um, you know, that being said, there's other um, benefits, right? Compression garments are often used after plastic surgery procedures in order to minimize scars. There's studies showing that if you discontinue wearing the compression garment before the scar has completely matured, that the scar can get much, much worse than if you'd never worn the compression garment in the first place. So there's like other reasons for that compression garment. But that I thought was a sort of an interesting additional thing to look at. There's no, I mean, that is a much higher level of compression than what would be typical for shapewear. Um, but it does imply this sort of like mm, additional thing to think about for people with blood clotting um, disorders. So if you've had a deep vein thrombosis before or pulmonary embolism, um, those are sort of the same, right? It's the same underlying clotting issues that are going on behind those things. Um, that It's just an extra thing to think about. They didn't have any uh, incidence of deep vein thrombosis in the study at all. They were just looking at how it affected blood flow in the femoral vein. And um, I found another study that was looking at similar garments uh, for postpartum hemorrhage, because that's another therapeutic use of compression garments. And they actually measured blood flow in the legs and showed uh, no change, but they were more focused on arteries rather than veins in that particular study. So it's hard to do an exact comparison. So this is one study in 15 people, that's a pretty low burden of proof in terms of, um, in terms of the quality of that evidence. Uh, but it, it is there, and I think it's sort of worth inserting that as a potential impact of the higher-level compression wear in, uh, in this entire conversation. All right, so maybe we can talk about... Well, first of all, did you want to talk about tight jeans? <laughs> um, so, you know, as I was digging through the literature, um, it, it's interesting because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the benefits to exercise and ex performance and recovery because there's hundreds, I mean, 600 different studies looking at different types of compression wear on exercise, performance, and muscle recovery. So that's like a really interesting, different group of people, right? That's a generally a different group of people than the people who are wearing shapewear under uh, their, you know, work attire. Um, but what's really interesting is like there's these other therapeutic uses of compression garments, right? So I mentioned uh, compression garment use after postpartum hemorrhage, after, um, after a... Uh, plastic surgery procedure. Um, there's therapeutic uses in terms of varicose vein management, in terms of wound healing. There's certain types of certain types of wounds that will heal faster under compression. Uh, lymphedema, so um, that's uh, a type of uh, swelling. Uh, scar management, I think I already mentioned. So there's there's therapeutic uses of of compression, um, and none of what we're talking today is really 
centered on these you know, well-established medical procedures that use compression garments, right? So that's that's a different situation. If your vascular surgeon wants you to wear compression stockings um, to help with varicose vein management, that has really good science behind it. Um, but what's really interesting is this idea that there's uh, trends in style that mimic compression garments. And I found this paper from 1984 that just amused me because the title was Tight Jeans as Compression Garment After Major Trauma. And they were literally saying that like 80s skinny jeans were the equivalent of a medical compression garment for somebody after a car accident. And it just, it just amused me. It just, I remember the 80s. I remember those jeans. They were not fun. Um, turns out they're about as good as a medical compression garment. <laughs> Although beware, 90s mom jeans are back. <laughs> I have not... a lot more elasticity in them than the, the denim did in the 80s. Though. Yeah, I'm, I'm not beware. I'm excited. Like, let's, let's be real. Um, that's a much better look for me than uh, late 90s, low hip riding jeans. <laughs> I, I don't do those. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who. Anyway, moving right along. Um, If that's that's working for you and you're loving it, I'm happy for you. It's not working for me. I think (laughs) it worked for Britney Spears for like a year. So, okay. Um, We, I know you talked about um, corsets and and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you want to talk more about compression wear or can we get in? to bras and cancer. Cause I feel like this, I kind of stirred the pot with this topic. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm ready to, to jump in. Yeah. Let's move on. I think, I mean, really, I, I did a very exhaustive search through the literature and there really isn't a whole ton on adverse effects of wearing compression wear. Um, which I think, you know, as I going to make a little call to action here for the doctors who are being interviewed for all of these different news articles that would have people terrified of their compression wear. Um, If you are seeing this in your practice, you need to write it up as a case study. Take an afternoon and write up, you know, grab your charts, write it up as a case study or a case uh, series because there's not even case studies in the medical literature to draw on. And a case study is, again, it is a story. It doesn't prove cause and effect, but there's not going to be a you know randomized controlled clinical trial evaluating the problems with shapewear unless there's case studies to grab the researcher's attention. And so that those case studies really need to be there. Uh, anecdote: I see this in my office all the time. Is basically not proof at all, and it doesn't matter if three different doctors say the same thing for a news article. Because there may be three more doctors who say, no, I never see that. That's silly. We don't know because articles are not typically written that way. And so without the without uh, doctors to actually uh, write up their experiences and have them published in peer-reviewed journal, it, it basically is not something that's actionable until there, there's a, a study to confirm a cause and effect. So my call to action for any medical professionals who see problems that they think are associated with shapewear in their offices who might be listening to this podcast, uh, please, please write it up and send it to a journal. And then, of course, send it to me so I can read it because I'd be very, very interested Um, because that is what is needed right now 
in order to confirm whether or not the myths of all of the problems that are associated with shapewear are actually valid or not. Right now, it doesn't look like they're valid at all based on the scientific evidence that exists. Except for? Acid reflux. Acid reflux. So that's my like, mm-hmm, it's there. That's, that's, that's the other side of Sarah's coin there. Mm-hmm, the full moon, sure. It doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so. Bras. Yes, let's. So um, this was really interesting because I had also heard uh, and never really dove into whether or not the research actually supported this, that bra wearing, especially wired bras, was associated with increased risk of breast cancer. And it turns out that that sort of urban legend originated from a paper from 1991 that was a fairly small study. And there was a non-statistically significant trend towards increased breast cancer incidence uh, with wired bra wearing. And uh, this is where understanding what statistical significance means is, is actually really helpful. So statistical significance is a way, uh, it's a statistical test. It's a way of measuring what the probability is that the difference seen between two measurements, two groups, right, two data points is due to sampling error. So uh, actually, they're all the same, but I happened to grab, when I sampled for this group, I happened to grab all the low ones. When I sampled for this group, I happened to grab all the high ones. But actually, if I had been able to measure everybody, I would see that they're actually equal. That would be a sampling error versus a true difference in the population. And so statistical significance means there's a very high probability that the difference we're seeing is due to a true difference in the population rather than uh, some kind of random effect from the sampling. Uh, Usually statistical significance is set at a 95% chance. So there's a 95% chance that the difference we're seeing is actually correct. And, um, and so this is, this is used across basically all medical studies. This is a standard statistical test. So when you say that there's a trend, but not statistical significance, you can't actually say that there's a difference. Um, scientists use trends as a way of uh, emphasizing Uh, something that might be going on underneath, but you can't determine whether or not it's a real effect until you increase the sample size. And what can contribute to um, the power of that statistics? So sample size is one thing, but variability is another. So when you have a trend, but that doesn't reach statistical significance, typically that either means it was a low sample size and or, and this is certainly the case of the 1991 paper, there's high variability. So when you see high variability, it's really, really hard to make average statements because the, your data is actually kind of all over the place. And yet this 1991 paper with this really low quality data, no statistical significance, just became, right, it became this urgent legend. There were people who were um, throwing out their bras, uh, not because of women's liberation, but because of fear of breast cancer being caused by their bras based on this one study. And it it ended up permeating so much that it, without the case studies to grab a scientist's education or a, a scientist's interest, it 
uh, actually grabbed someone's interest because of the urban legend aspect. And so there was a really well done uh, study out of uh, the Seattle area where they looked at uh, women with cancer and match controls. It was a prospective study and they um, looked at bra wearing habits. They looked at um, all, you know, how many hours a day they were wearing it, whether or not the, the bra had underwire, how old they were when they first started wearing a bra, uh, bra cup size. They, they really tried to separate out all the different aspects of bra wearing to determine whether or not there was a link with breast cancer incidence and found absolutely zero link, zero, not correlated with breast cancer at all. And it was a, it was a well-designed study that basically was like nail in the coffin on this urban legend, bra wearing is not associated with breast cancer risk. Um, and so I think that as we're talking about compression wear and undergarments, right, bras do kind of provide some light compression. So I think this is a really interesting thing to just like, hey, let's myth bust and say that this whole, you know, wearing a bra too often is going to increase risk of cancer thing. This was a 2016 study that really conclusively showed that um, bra wearing is is not increasing cancer risk. Um, interestingly, as I was diving into compression, there um, I did find a case study of a woman who had caused, um, basically it's like blood clots in the superficial, um, veins around her breast, which causes, um, a condition called Mondor's disease, um, from wearing a too tight of a bra. And it's something that has also been seen in like tight girdles. Like, again, we're sort of getting into, um, you know, those super tight corsets, um, super tight girdles, there are legitimate concerns with that level of high compression. And that definitely also is seen with, with breast health, at least in case studies. There are some published in the literature. But in terms of the normal well-filling bras that most women are wearing, there are no concerns reflected in the scientific literature. Yeah, I appreciate you pulling all of that together, I think, um, you know, what, what I read after I made that statement was also, um, overwhelmingly conclusive once I kind of looked at the scientific information on it. So this falls into the category that we've talked about a lot before. Like you can just do a Google search on either one of these and the majority of items that are going to come up are going to tell you that there's problems with them. There's going to be doctors quoted. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. But then if you try to dig a little bit deeper, there's no references. There's no links to a study. Mm -hmm. There's no anything like that that can show that it's somebody other than this is what I think. Um, and so that's where Sarah, your call to action is important because some of the people quoted in these articles are doctors. And it's, it's a question for me as, you know, a consumer out there. Well, if that's what you're seeing, doctor, why aren't you putting it into the literature so that it can be documented? You know, like, why is it just a quote on a mainstream website. So I think this is where, you know, Sarah's even incorporated this into her educational material for people. Like we as consumers, we as people of the modern day of the internet where anybody can go out and say anything that they want, we have to learn to look a little deeper. And I myself was just as, you know, um, 
I don't want to say guilty because there's no guilt associated with this, right? But like I was, I was just as convinced as the next person um, until it was brought to my attention that that wasn't an actual fact as I thought yeah. it was, that it was a myth. And then I'm like, okay, let me do this research. I, I need to be responsible and accountable for that. Not just for, because I had, you know, people who were listening to me, but also like as just a person who believes or lives your life or, or whatever shares this with just your friends or your mom or your sisters, you know, if, if you share one piece of misinformation like this, I think it really speaks to the, um, validity of a lot of information that you might be sharing. And I feel like this is just a complete off tangent, but I feel like what happens a lot in the community is we take a small piece of information, um, the cancer about, um, meat, for example, that we Mm -hmm. debunked or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things in the community where we don't just get to cherry pick that because we like the sound of something that we're going to take that ball and run with it. And, you know, I, I hope you recognize that Sarah and I are both really passionate about sharing information to the best of your health, but also based on truth. And so we, we want to empower all of you to do that as well, because if you say, well, X causes Y, and there's no science on that, then the next time you say X causes Y and there is science, the person might not be listening anymore because it's kind of a cry wolf situation. Uh, drop the mic. Just saying. <laughs> All right. So what's interesting to me is when I brought this topic up to you, the science that did jump out as being conclusive was actually positive um, for mm-hmm. compression. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think this is just an important like addendum because I think that, you know, shapewear has this whole um, body image part of the conversation. Like, why are we feeling pressured even to wear this stuff in the first place? Right. That I mean, and that is some I mean, those are soapboxes we've gone on several times on this podcast before. Um, and it, it kind of, it, it fits into this separate part of the conversation, but as I was getting into the research on compression garments, what really stood out, what is very well studied is the benefits of compression stockings in particular for athletic performance. And so there is a, you know, there, there's been enough, uh, studies now to have like meta analyses. So very, very high burden of scientific proof showing a, uh, a significant, although modest effect. Um, so in strength training athletes, wearing compression stockings during and after working out can decrease delayed muscle soreness and improve muscle recovery. And when you can, any you know, small effects that you can make on improving muscle recovery and strength training translates to bigger gains. Um, and that is something that uh, strength training athletes are all about. Um, but there's also an effect on endurance athletes. So there's quite a lot of studies also done showing that endurance athletes will also have um, better muscle recovery after training. And also there's actually a small improvement on performance in endurance athletes. Most of that research has been done on lower body compression. So they're really looking at compression shorts, compression stockings. Think about uh, leisure wear. A lot of leisure wear will have, or F leisure wear will have um, some kind of compression aspect to it. Um, So those types of garments, potentially very beneficial for uh, muscle recovery, athletic performance. There is a couple of studies that have started to look at upper body compression. So this would be 
uh, torso and arm compression. And the results are mixed at this point. There's not enough data for a meta-analysis for upper body compression. Um, so there may be some benefits still to muscle recovery, but potentially some more concerning effects like magnifi magnifying heat stress. So if you're working out in hot weather and you're wearing an upper body compression garment, that that's actually um, causing, it's actually undermining your, your muscle recovery because it's magnifying the stress of um, what the working out in the heat would actually be doing to your body, which is not great. So, um, this definitely is more of a lower body compression, which, um, you know, what they're basically saying is by applying some compression to the muscles, you are, um, allowing for, uh, things like lactic acid buildup in the muscles to flush more efficiently. And you're allowing, um, the actual like repair of muscle fibers to occur more efficiently. Um, so the types of things that they're measuring are muscle recovery, um, you know, things like muscle fatigue, um, perceived exertion, um, more quantifiable um, measurements of uh, performance. So they're, they're really looking at, this sort of comprehensive picture and it really does look like some low to medium compression of the lower body can be beneficial. What's interesting is that there's have been a few studies that have sort of branched out into like not athletes. Um, one in particular that stood out for me was looking at patients with, who had at least two cardiovascular disease risk factors. So that would be something like elevated LDL cholesterol or elevated triglycerides or high blood pressure. Um, so they had, you know, one of those or two or more of those risk factors and they, um, had them do like a walk test and actually showed that when they were wearing compression garments, they actually fatigued more quickly. So whereas an athlete is going to have better endurance wearing a compression garment, it didn't, it had the opposite effect in basically somebody who was unhealthy. So that's an interesting like caveat is that um, studies that are done in athletes aren't always applicable to us normal people. Um, so I think, I, you know, I want to add that little extra uh you know, food for thought in terms of understanding compression wear. So if you uh, are an active person with a sport, um, I think, you know, playing with compression um, stockings, compression leggings is interesting, but if you don't experience those results, it, it's not, it's not a surprise. There is definitely some science that would indicate that compression stockings for athletic performance and muscle recovery might be an effect that's really only seen in like top elite athletes. I know I personally wore compression leggings simply because of like movement. Um, and I wasn't eating during that period and it was short time. So I, I found it to be helpful just from a wearability perspective, but, um, the idea of muscle recovery and all of that kind of information is fascinating and interesting. And of course, um, you know, I, when I think of, um, compression stockings, I think of like hospital post-surgery is, is always what I think of. Right. So, um, it makes sense from that, from a therapeutic 
um, angle as well. So thanks for always digging into the science and, and being our, our honest voice and holding us all accountable to the scientific truth, even though occasionally me, we might admittedly believe differently. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I feel like I've said this in a few different forums lately, but I really do have the rule for myself that I don't um, write about or recommend or, or create resources around something just because it worked for me, um, you know, just because it, it fits with my experience. I don't take my experience and look for the science that backs it up. I, um, I've started using the the phrase evidence-led instead of um, evidence-based in terms of how I create resources. So what I do is I go to the science and I really try to understand the full body of scientific literature. There's always going to be studies that contradict each other. I don't dismiss a study because it doesn't conform with the picture that I'm trying to create. Instead, I look for the context, the nuance. Um, I, I look for understanding. Maybe this means this applies to uh, one population, not another. Maybe there's some interesting detail happening in this one study, which is why it shows a different result. I'm much more interested in understanding the whys behind contradictory information and trying to form a detailed picture than I am about, um, you know, trying to simplify everything to a, this is right and this is wrong. And that does make me very unique in the sort of thought leader space in the alternative health community. But I, that is my rule for myself. So I can do something that can work for me. If I can't point to the science that explains why and show that that is the majority of the science, right? That's the picture the science paints, right? I try to understand my experiences in the context of the science rather than looking for the science that explains my experiences, if that makes any sense. So um, this is something I'm really passionate about. I'm really passionate about um, valuing scientific uh, evidence, scientific data, scientific researchers, and the work that they're doing to add to human knowledge. And instead of... Um, being really dogmatic about my beliefs. I want to let the scientific evidence drive those beliefs and be open to new data, be open to challenges for that information. I think that is the only way that we can really move forward is if we uh, are willing to renegotiate our opinions uh, and integrate new information. I think if we're closed off to that new information, then we're stagnant as, as not just as individuals, but as a society. Double mic drop. Well, listeners, thank you for being here and hanging tough because evidently I need to have terrible nineties references consistent throughout the entire show. (laughs) Sarah, name that pop culture reference. Um, does it have anything to do with butcher box or sponsor? <laughs> um, I don't know if new kids on the block enjoys butcher box, but I believe that they would love it. They would super love it. It's like way, way up their, their alley because <laughs> I'm just going to say this is the most painful lead in we've ever had. <laughs> Should we should we try it again? No, it again. I love it. <laughs> oh, you like it? Uh, leave it in. All right. Uh, I think Butcher Box is the right stuff. Is that? Oh a, my god! Is that I a am, reference? 
dead. I just, did you hear me? I just <laughs> died. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. okay. Um, I think step-by-step uh, ButcherBox looks after your health from the farm to your plate by sending you a curated collection of high-quality meat to your door every single month on a subscription basis. And I'm, I'm out of, I'm out of, I'm out of references, but I got, I got two in there. So I'm good. Right. I can't even breathe. I, I just <laughs> made me so happy. Like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to listen back to this part of the show the next time I'm feeling blue. <laughs> uh, thank you, ButcherBox for sponsoring the show. If you wanted to get $15 off and free bacon, um, with or without new kids on the block, <laughs> you can go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view. So that is $15 off and free bacon at butcherbox.com forward slash the paleo view. No coupon code required. Free 90s references. Step by step. Hang See? Tough. I am so proud of you. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't even know you would. Like you, you didn't get it at first, but then once I said you kids in the block, then you came up with two all on your own listeners. Uh -huh. This was not planned. I'm so proud of you. You made my little, my little cultural heart sing with joy. I hope I was, I was in seventh grade when they were a thing. I, yeah, I was in elementary school. So it was like, I was actually a little bit too young because I couldn't go to the concerts, but I still had my best friend necklace. Um, and when my best friend broke up with me, you know, how, as you do when you're a mm -hmm. child, she threw her half of the best friend necklace down a sewer and I debated going down to get it because it was like my only new kids on the block belonging other than a spiral notebook. Now, listeners, that you have journeyed through the disturbing memories of our past, we will leave you to enjoy the rest of your <laughs> week and we'll be back probably with all kinds of other embarrassing jokes and who knows what else. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the paleo view. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. The show topic bras Spanks and compression wear in general. Actually, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to say we should probably not call out Spanx because I don't want to be sued by them. So I'm going to re-say the title. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.